Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. On Thursday, April 20. Hello, everybody. The Bill Press Show. Yes, it is 420, which rightly or not is the day to celebrate the legalization of marijuana across the country. On the mistaken belief that 420 is the police code for a pot bust. Yeah. Uh, It's not, but it's become such legend that everybody still calls it 420. 420. uh, And everybody celebrates as we do today with all of you. Great to see you today. Lots to talk about. And we not only celebrate 420, we celebrate the demise of Bill O'Reilly on Fox News. It happened fast, and we'll get right into that. Good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Lots to talk about from uh, our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And from here, we reach out to you on the Young Turks Network on and uh, all part of it on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. On the great WCPT uh, Chicago and the greater Chicago area, and on Free Speech TV, of course. Good to have you with us. Remember, sound off, sound off your comments of the on the news of the day on Twitter at BP Show. Love to hear from you. And yes, let me tell you, the most disgusting thing of the day. Yes, Bill O'Reilly is gone. And for those of you watching on TV, for those of you listening on the radio, I'll have to explain to you, I'm talking about the front page of today's New York Times. Right alongside of the headline, Fox News fires Bill O'Reilly, is a picture of Bill O'Reilly shaking hands with the Pope yesterday, or the day before yesterday, uh, when he's on vacation in Italy, goes to the Vatican, for the weekly audience of the Pope. And then the Pope, as you know, goes around through St. Peter's Square, where there could be 100,000 people gathered, and he stops to shake hands with Bill O'Reilly. How disgusting. Because you know, let me, let me tell you this, as a former seminarian, as one who has been at a weekly audience of a Pope, the Vatican knows who's there. They put the people up front they want the Pope to shake hands with. Because of connections, this Bill O'Reilly, this pseudo-Catholic, gets some cardinal, probably the cardinal of New York, to arrange for him to be up front to shake hands with the Pope when the Vatican knows he is a serial sexual abuser, that he is under investigation at Fox News, that he has run away to Italy to get away from the scandal And they put him up in a position to get the big handshake from the Pope. How disgusting. It just really makes me sick to my stomach. And I don't blame the Pope. I blame these old farts at the Vatican, right, Uh, with their history of sexual abuse, the Catholic Church. And they celebrate another one in Bill O'Reilly. Shameful day for the Vatican. Yes, 
and Bill O'Reilly. Who would put it this way? Again, love your comments on this, on what it means to, for O'Reilly to be gone on Twitter at BP Show. But think about this. Ten months ago, who would have thought that Fox News would be without Roger Ailes? A month ago, who would have thought that Fox News would be without Bill O'Reilly? And today, they are both gone. It's amazing. And let me tell you something. They are gone. Don't mista- don't don't be mistaken here, because there are people today who are saying, this proves that there's a new day at Fox News. This proves that Fox News recognizes this is the 21st century, and they're going to have a uh, 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 an atmosphere at Fox News from now of what was it? Culture and respect, I think, is the phrase that they used. I know respect was one of the two words. That's nonsense. No, no, no. Fox News didn't make this decision on their own accord. They didn't make this decision because they're good guys. They didn't make this decision for the right reasons. You know why they made this decision to fire Bill O'Reilly? Because we found out about it. We found out about it. And Roger Ailes, we found out about Roger Ailes, thanks to Gretchen Carlson and other brave women who came forward. And we found out about Bill O'Reilly, thanks to the investigative reporting uh, of the New York Times, which just about within the last two weeks came out with this investigation and proved that Fox News had paid $13 million to settle, I think, five different lawsuits against Bill O'Reilly for sexual harassment, two of them since Roger Ailes was fired, and they had renewed Bill O'Reilly's contract for $20 million a year even after paying out $13 million for sexual harassment. So they knew... He was a scumbag. They knew he was guilty of sexual harassment or he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have settled these suits. They knew who he was and they still renewed his contract. And then the world found out and then Fox News finally acted because they had to. In other words, sexual harassment at Fox News is okay as long as nobody knows about it. But let me tell you, again, we are better off Fox News is better off. The world is better off without Roger Ailes and without Bill O'Reilly. But, boy, it really shows the importance that the times are changing and the importance of women coming forward, not putting up with this. You don't have to. There are recourses. Tell your story. Put it out there. Don't let men rule the workplace and, and feel that they can get away with anything when it comes to their treatment of women, either treating them disrespectfully or actually at the level of sexual harassment or worse. Uh, And kudos to the New York Times for digging in there and showing what good investigative journalism is all about and coming out with this story. Um, Yesterday, um, Maxine Waters, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who's been right out front on this, she called uh, Fox News, what was it, the Sexual Harassment Playhouse or something like that last week. How much she called it? You know, it's close to that. Um, and she said yesterday, yeah, some men like a rally where they ought to go. They ought to go to jail. The day will come when rich persons, rich men, won't be able to buy their way out of this criminal activity. And they will go to jail and they should go to jail. At Fox, she said, this kind of activity from Roger Ailes on down was a way of life. 
men there and Roger Ailes, this was a way of life for them. Powerful men with a lot of money uh, who would proposition women, take advantage of them. Yep, indeed. Sexual harassment enterprise. Is what Se- oh, sexual it. harassment enterprise. That was so it. Yeah, good. God love her. And Lisa Bloom, she was an attorney for, um, not for Gretchen Carlson, but she might have been, but for several of the women who did, uh, not, no, against Bill O'Reilly. She was a representative of several of the women who filed charges against Bill O'Reilly. Um, she says yesterday, yep, you bet. We feel vindicated. My clients who had the courage to step forward were vindicated. And she says, and this I think is an important point, because Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly got away with what they were doing for so long because there were other people around them or over them, over them in the case of Bill O'Reilly, not in case of Roger Ailes, who knew what they were doing, who knew how much money Fox was paying out, of course, who knew what was going on in that workplace, and you know they were not the only two who took advantage of women at Fox News. And those those men were allowing it to happen, looking the other way, covering it up. In other words, they were enablers. Here again, Lisa Bloom. Everyone who has been an enabler for either Mr. Ailes, Mr. O'Reilly, or any others who have paid out millions of dollars in sexual harassment claims, those people should all be gone. I think that's an extremely important point. And, uh, uh, you know, look, I don't know the leadership of Fox News enough that I could name names, but there are people there today who allowed Bill O'Reilly to get away with this for years. Yep. They knew who he was. They knew what was going on. They knew how much they had paid out, but they were making money on him. He was their cash cow, and so they let him get away with it. And again, that's why Fox News finally did it. Not two reasons. Not because... We want to be do the right thing. We want to show, you know, how morally correct we are. No, they did it because we found out, the public found out, number one. And number two, they started losing money. Fifty advertisers fleeing, running away from Bill O'Reilly's show. And once their bottom line got hit, then the Murdoch brothers said, no, we better get rid of this guy. He's costing us money. It's the only reason. Bottom line. You know... I don't want to, you know how much I'm going to hate to hoist Bill O'Reilly on his own petard here, but his whole shtick when he first started, and, and he kept it up for most of the time that he was there, was he was the culture warrior, right? Yep. He was Mr. Mm-hmm. Our culture is falling apart, uh, society is breaking down, and I think it's really, really telling that that culture is dying, that patriarchy is dying. It is on yeah, its way yeah, out. You yeah. cannot do this stuff anymore. No. And I know, look, a lot of people get away with it. A lot of people are going to continue to get away with it. But what we're looking at are the dying uh, throes yeah. of this chauvinistic world of, this- of management or talent or whatever. And and I also think it's really, really important to point out here that in the middle of this, after lawsuits were settled, multiple lawsuits were settled, or mul- multiple claims were settled, uh, after... This has been brought out into public. The president of the United States, Donald Trump, said Bill O'Reilly's a good guy. He yes. should not have settled yeah. and maintained 
that he should still be on the air and he should still have his show. And so now he's fired. He's gone. He's clearly done wrong. I would love to know what Donald Trump says now. So that, I think, is a very clear example of the dying patriarchy and Bill O'Reilly on his way out the door and the fact that we've got this dinosaur in the White House who doesn't get it. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent point. And, um, and, you know, Donald Trump will probably ignore this or he may come out and say Fox News did the wrong thing. Uh, he's crazy enough to say that, but he is crazy enough. It's also that. worth pointing out that Donald Trump would not be where he is today without Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly. And Facts. You owe me milkshakes. Fox I'll News. take them off the right. ledger if you consider it. Uh, So quickly before we move on, I just can't resist. Again, the thing that pisses me off most about this is this picture of Bill O'Reilly with the Pope. How could they let that happen? Damn cardinals. I mean, they're just – they don't live in the real world. And you talk about an all-male enclave, right? And the cover-up that they did over all the priest serial abusers. uh, And then uh, just disgusting. I hope the Pope – the Pope ought to apologize and say, I'm sorry that they put me up to that and condemn the people who did so. Fire them. Qu- two quick little Bill O'Reilly stories. Can I just indulge myself and Please. never have another chance? So I, I, I had two run-ins with Bill O'Reilly. I, I basically hate the man. Um, I admit that. I don't hate many people. I do hate him. So um, two things. One, I appeared on this show only once. Uh, when my first book came out called Spin This, and at the time, Bill O'Reilly it was into this whole thing. I guess he continued in on the factor. The no-spin zone. No, this is one place where there's no spin. We just tell the truth, the whole thing. And in my book, Spin This, I pointed out that he was one of the biggest spinners of all time. Right? I mean, his whole show basically was spin. So he had me on to talk about the book. And he said, now, in this book, you say, and he read a paragraph from there, basically accusing him. of, uh, and, and he said, so how can you say that? And I said, look, Bill, I'm not saying spin is evil or it's not a crime. It's not a sin. All I'm saying is everybody spins. I admit I spin to the left. You spin to the right. I was trying to be fair, right? And he said, "That no, that's not true. I never spin. Give yeah. me one example of where I ever engaged in spin. And, of course, I'd done my homework. I knew what he was going to ask. So I said, okay. And I picked up a little card, and I had on there on such and such a date, Somebody said this, and then you said, boom, 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 boom. I said, that is spin. He said, no, it's not. I'm just giving my opinion. I said, Bill, no, that is really spin. That's spin. He said, no, it's not. Give me another example. <laughs> so I said, uh, okay. I had about six of these lined up, right? I said, okay. Um, by the way, this is up on YouTube. Uh, somebody told me that it's still up there. If you, Bill O'Reilly, Bill Press, whatever. So I picked up another card, and I said, okay, here's another boom, boom, boom. I give this example. And, and Bill O'Reilly said, no, that's not it. You're just not telling the truth. Goodbye. Boom. Just ended the segment like that. <laughs> My little Bill O'Reilly run in. But I got even. I got even with him. Because uh, I was at MSNBC at the time. Mm-hmm. Fox News, C-SPAN, CNBC are all same building, 400 North Capitol right down here near Union Station, not far from the Capitol. And um, at the first on the first floor was a restaurant called La Colline, a French restaurant. Okay. And this is a time when France was refusing to join us in the war in Iraq. And the conservatives went nuts about France. And they every night, 
right? They were oh, breaking bottles right. of red that's wine. Right. They that's changed freedom fries. They changed the name of French fries to freedom Ugh. fries, and the whole thing anti-France was led by Bill O'Reilly. Oh, that's right, man. I was having lunch at La Colline one day, and in walks <laughs> Bill O'Reilly, <laughs> and he sits down and has lunch by himself in this French restaurant. I finished my lunch. I went upstairs. I called the Washington Post. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. Guess who's having lunch at the French restaurant on nice. Capitol Hill? Bill O'Reilly. Oh, that's funny. And, of course, they published that the next day. Good. What he had for lunch. Well, screw him. How much it cost him. And... <laughs> you snake. Uh, uh, he what, had it coming. And what a little tip he left. <laughs> <laughs> So don't mess with Texas, baby. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bill O'Reilly. Goodbye. Good riddance. Yes, indeed. Oh, boy, the briefing yesterday. Uh, we had a little meeting of the White House Correspondents Association last night, and we were talking about uh, the worst moments in Sean's, for, for Sean Spicer. Uh, I said I thought the worst moment was uh, when a couple of days ago when he tried to – justify uh, the, 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 the the news of um, the, the not releasing the visitor logs. Mm. Why they couldn't do this because um, no other president had done it. Members of Congress don't have to do it. We went through that. All those BS reasons that they gave why. Uh, and right of privacy, protecting people's right of privacy. And it was just such a stretch. I thought that was the worst. And, and <laughs> Everybody else that I was talking to, that our little group, they all disagreed with me. They said yesterday was the very worst when Sean Spicer had to answer and explain about the aircraft carrier, the Carl Vincent, that the White House announced, remember Donald Trump says, we're sending, we're going to show North Korea, we're sending an entire armada off the shores of North Korea to show that we mean business. And Associated Press pointed out that, in fact, that armada was headed not toward North Korea. It was headed toward Indonesia, and the photo, it was photographed 3,500 miles away from North Korea. Well, when that, when that report came out, suddenly they turned it around. And you know how long it takes to turn around an aircraft carrier. Uh, and they headed back to North Korea, which is where they are now heading. And Sean Spicer said yesterday, so really, like, nothing um, nothing has changed. The president said that we have an armada going towards the peninsula. That's a fact. It happened. It is happening, rather. Uh, no, it didn't happen. It is happening now. So it didn't happen when we said it has happened, but it is happening now. Uh, Sean Spicer again saying, no, it's going in the right direction. We said that it was heading there, and it was heading there. It is heading there. <laughs> it was heading there. It is heading there. He's, he's twisting himself like a pretzel. <laughs> it's So I guess the bottom line is that the Carl Vincent um, went to, headed to North Korea by way of Indonesia. Uh, they went 3,500 mile, 3, miles out of the way. Then they turned around when it was reported that, in fact, they weren't going in the right direction, and now they are heading in that direction. Pretty embarrassing moment for the whole the whole operation. Uh, even a guy that I have a lot of respect for, but even Defense Secretary General Mattis uh, 
got into the White House spin machine here on the Carl Vincent. We're doing exactly what we said we were going to do. She will be on her way, no. and no. I'll determine no. uh, when no. she gets there and where she actually operates. Uh, no. No. no, 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 no. They're not doing exactly what they said they were going to do. They Now, she's heading there now? Fine. She wasn't heading there last week when they announced, and Donald Trump tweeted or told Fox News, that the armada, the entire armada, was on its way to North Korea. Georgia 6, still getting a lot of news. Uh, it is a, It was a big, big, um, not a win, but a big show of strength for Democrats in a district that Democrats haven't uh, represented for decades. Uh, Georgia 6, the suburbs of Atlanta, of course. Uh, and again, Sean Spicer insisting yesterday, no, this wasn't, uh, this wasn't anything that Democrats ought to brag about. This was a big loss for them. Uh, the bottom line is they went all in on it. They said that they, their goal was to get over 50%. They came up short. Yeah, uh, big loss, big loss. Oh, yeah? Well, it wasn't a big loss for Democrats. But l- let's not kid ourselves. It was not a win. Coming in close in politics is not the same as winning. Ask Hillary Clinton. Even asked John Ossoff, I wish we had won that thing. But for Democrats to come that close in a district, again, a Republican district, a district that Tom Price carried by 24 points last time in 2016, for this Democrat, John Ossoff, to get 48.1% of the vote, uh, and the closest Republican was at 20%, was a big show of strength and a big uh, kind of scare message for Republicans, not just in this district, but nationwide, in suburban, moderate Republican suburban districts. This is not Donald Trump territory. These are Republicans who are not comfortable with Donald Trump. They're, in many cases, embarrassed and ashamed by Donald Trump. That's why he only has a 39% approval rating now across the country. Uh, and with the runoff on June 20, the Georgia 6 is in jeopardy for Republicans, and uh, so are many other similar districts all across the country. I think the big challenge here is for the Democratic Party to recognize the opportunity and to take advantage of it. They made a big mistake, I believe, in Kansas, where Democratic, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee decided they weren't even going to play wouldn't put any money in there. Uh, and that that district, which Republicans have always won by like 30, 40 percent, the Democrat came within seven points of winning in Kansas without any help from the National Democratic Party. Monumental mistake on the part of Tom Perez and, and, uh, and the Democrats in Congress, in the House, and in the Senate. Now, in Georgia, they didn't make the same mistake. They poured in $8 million. Now they just got to double down, I believe. Uh, it's going to be tough because all those 11 Republicans who ran against John Ossoff are going to unite. They all unite behind Karen Handel. You know that. Every, all, the, all Donald Trump's friends will be pouring money in there. Donald Trump will be doing ro- more robocalls. He'll probably even campaign down there with Karen Handel. But that's going to be a problem for her because this is not Trump territory. And I think one of the key factors is going to be how close she's willing to get to Donald Trump uh, in, in, the, in, this, in this runoff. But again, Democrats have to come in full bore. We could win that race in Georgia 6, 
And then Democrats also have to jump into this special election out in Montana, where the uh, troubadour, Rob Quist, the banjo strumming guy who's out there but on his own and is very, very close, Democrat, very close in the polls uh, to the guy who, 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 who ran for, um, for governor uh, in, uh, in Montana. It's got, Montana, by the way, has a Democratic governor and a Democratic senator, John Tester. So this is a, this is a statewide race. We could win that race, but again, Democrats have to, have to pour some resources into there. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the 50-state strategy that Howard Dean started. And Democrats say, and Bernie's been saying this, we've got to bring it back. We've got to contest every district. A- absolutely correct. And it starts right now in Georgia, and it starts in Montana. And you know, one thing for sure, you may not win them, but you're never going to win them unless you're playing on the field. Unless you've got a team on the field, it's impossible to win it. So there's a possible win in Georgia and, and a possible win in Montana, and Democrats have to be there. John Ossoff yesterday uh, telling CNN, we're going we're gonna to compete and we're going to win on June 20. Uh, I'm looking forward to what will be a spirited debate. I'm looking forward to continuing to work with the team of thousands of folks who are giving so much uh, to push us forward to try to get some fresh leadership into Washington. Uh, I think we're going to win on June 20th. Uh, I say bring it on. Yep. So uh, go for it. Go for it. Bring it on is correct. Democrats, get in the game in Georgia. Get in the game in Montana. And on this 420... Before we move on, special announcement. We are going to have a very special uh, 420 celebration, a special little uh, broadcast following our regular show uh, just to mark this great occasion of 420. Peter, you want to tell us more about it? Yeah, here's the deal. If you're already subscribed to our YouTube channel, you're good. We're going to send out a little blast at about a little bit after 9 o'clock because we're going to start a whole new broadcast. It's going to be Internet only so we can do whatever we want. And so if oh, you're already subscribed, like you'll get a little notification. Am I invited? Start, you're invi- You're going to be in on this. Oh, all right. You're going to oh, be in on oh, this. Oh, okay. If you're already subscribed, youtube.com slash show. you get a little notification when we start the video. If you already like us on Facebook, you'll be able to catch us on uh, Facebook Live as well, the video there. Uh, otherwise, go do that now. Go subscribe now, and then you'll be able to join in. <laughs> we'll be reading your comments. Uh, we'll be... Um, We've got some special content planned. Okay. All right. That sounds good. And that is right after uh, this regular broadcast. And uh, the protests continue. Yes, indeed. And a big one coming up this Saturday, the March for Science. We're going to find out science and health. We're going to find out all about it uh, from one of the co-chairs of the March for Science and Health coming up on the Bill Press Show. That sexual harassment enterprise that they created over there at Fox. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And on the Thursday, April 20, uh, it is the Bill Press Show coming to you live coast to coast uh, on Free Speech TV, on youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, and on WCPT out in Chicago. 
Good to see you today. Brought to you today by the International Association of Machinists, the good men and women of the Machinist Union, under President Robert Martinez, sharpening America's edge on the global economy, keeping America's manufacturing interests such as they still are strong. Uh, and we salute them, thank them for their support of the uh, program. This Saturday, cancel all and any other plans you might have. Got to be out there keeping the resistance going, keeping the protests going, keeping the message alive. And this one, the March for Science and Health, co-chair of the march uh, here already in Washington to get things warmed up. Carolyn Weinberg. Hello, Carolyn. Nice to see you. Down from New York for the big weekend, huh? Yep. (laughs) Um, So what is going on and how did this whole thing get started? Um, So... Oh, oh, oh sorry. Close to the sure. there. Thank you. <laughs> sorry so. about that. Sorry. We um, all want to hear you. Right. <laughs> I'm sure. People are delighted. I um, was, a lot of us came to it for different reasons. Personally, I was having conversa- a conversation with a friend who um, works in climate change research education who mm-hmm. was saying that she could no longer educate people um, because there was a restriction on mm-hmm. communicating her research. Um, and I was appropriately outraged and um, went went on to I you know, was like, oh, we should we should march for science on Washington. And I had what, what I thought was like a brilliant original idea. And then I went on Twitter. And of course, a ton of other people had had the same idea, including um, a man named Jonathan Berman, who's currently one of the other co-chairs. And he um, he had gotten a Twitter handle, Science March DC and a URL. And mm-hmm. um, and it was just kind of idling. And then um, I was off that morning, and so I emailed him to see if we could connect. And somewhere between my, hey, we should join forces and um, a viral movement, it just, like, took off. And Sounds um, like the Women's March. Yeah, basically. Um, that was uh, – it just – well, what was great about, about what happened is that we, we were talking <laughs> about this idea for D.C., um, which definitely was motivated by having seen how successful the the women's march was, and then we, um, you know, within like five hours, people all over the world were saying that they were going to have marches, and that's totally a model that started with the women's march and wouldn't have happened otherwise. Like it had nothing to do with us. People were like, "Oh, I'm going to do one in San Francisco. I got New York covered, <laughs> London." And I was like, "Okay, I yeah. guess we're going global." <laughs> and um, so. But the main event is here in Washington, right? Well, I, I mean, the, the one that gets the most attention, yeah, but it's pretty exciting. The, all the other, like I had a conversation yesterday with someone from the North Pole who's having a march. So um, so it's pretty exciting that it's happening all over the How place. How many people still. are going to show up for a march at the North Pole? I mean, look, I hope a at lot of North, people show up. At but the like, North Pole, it was huge. Yeah. Um, there, <laughs> it was were, the biggest I mean, march it, of all time, and it happened at the it's North gonna, Pole, it's period. It's definitely going to dwarf the D.C. march. Um, <laughs> there were three people. And three hungry polar bears. <laughs> so, um, yeah, when I talked to her on the phone, she was like, oh, yeah, last night around the camp, there were like three hungry polar bears. And I was like, what is this oh conversation God. that I'm having right now? What? So, um, yeah, that was amazing. They had uh, a banner and everything. Wh- uh, <laughs> yeah. Why April 22nd? Um, so we, uh, were trying to figure out a date and when we, um, when there were other satellite cities that had popped up, it turned out that you need, um, in some cities, you need a minimum of three months to get a permit. So we were like, okay, it has to be three months out. And we were trying to decide on a date. And then Earth Day, who uh, they contacted us um, maybe like 24 hours after it went viral and um, and basically said, you know, we have a permit for the mall. We have this really cool idea for these teach-ins. Are you interested in kind of combining? Mm. And um, a lot of people from the Women's March had reached out to us to organize things and, and were being extremely helpful. But we kind of had this 
gift land in our lap or someone yeah, was like, we right. have the permits and we know how to organize a march. Like, why don't you, why don't you, you work with us? Right. And so, you know, we discussed it um, and then, and then ended up signing on with them after we, you know, we had a long conversation about, about focusing on general science and they were super on board with what we were talking so about. It so it makes, I mean, it makes sense. Earth Day, I, I forget what anniversary of Earth Day this is the first uh, Earth Day, I think it was, was in the 1970, 70s. I think it's like 70, the 50, I think. like third or something. I'm going to have to look. I think the I'm big 50th was a couple this. years ago. 1970. Yeah. Okay, I was yeah. right. Okay, so do the math, right? 47. Don't, ask 47. Me, don't ask me to do math on 420, no. man. I can't do that. 47. Yeah. Uh, and what <laughs> sure. is the yeah. – it's science and health, meaning – that's that's very very broad. It right? is broad. Very it's actually general. even so, broader than that because it's just science. <laughs> it's just science. <laughs> it's just science. Oh, okay. I don't know. I've got health. So science. So what is the what is the message? So the issue is is that um, take science seriously or so. Well, yeah. I mean, it's that's that's certainly a big part of it. I mean, the it's it's broad because all areas of science are kind of under. Um, under attack and need to be defended right now. It's, um, you know, most of the conversation around climate denialism in the government revolves around climate change, mm -hmm. um, around science denialism, I mean, and um, which is important and is, is definitely a huge factor in, um, in policies that are kind of destroying our planet by ignoring scientific consensus. But there are many other areas of science that are also being, um, you know, ignored. So we, like, um, like public health research, um, uh, environmental research that's not involved with climate change, um, basic stuff about like health research and how insurance helps people. Um, there is just you know sociology. Everything is kind of being affected by by policies, and so um, and so we we cast a big net because there's a lot of science involved, and that's how yeah. we ended up with this coalition of like 250 partners from every area of science and every career that that uses science in some way. Whoa. And it's because, huh. yeah, and it's because science in society, um, you know, it's about like the role of science in society and the need for it to be in policy. And so it's, you know, too well, off. Um, so I was uh, in the women, uh, went to the Women's March and the thing about the Women's March that, that everybody talks about, the signs were so great, right? Uh, because there's so many aspects of it. My favorite was still free Melania. <laughs> um, uh, saw a lot of those. Mine was even intro if introverts are on the street, you know something's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> that, <right>. was... <laughs> that spoke to me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just trying to imagine what are the signs going to look like for Saturday. What's the what's, um, what's the bumper sticker? What's the slogan? So um, you know, it's there's a lot of. Um, People, we've been extremely lucky that that artists and graphic designers have just produced like a huge number of posters for us for download, and they're everything from you know like science is great and like science serves science is for all, to um, like hyper specific um, science like in jokes, which are great. You know, like I'm that's, a, what, that's <laughs> what I'm looking forward to. All the signs no. that I don't understand. No, that's, right. That's yeah. the key. Or like yeah. like my personal favorite that someone made on Facebook and gave to us is um it's like I'm um. I'm not a resistor, and then the sign for resistance. I'm uh, a transformer, and I was like, <laughs> science, <laughs> science, nerd humor. That's <laughs> that's that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. But I think it's going to be a real mix because it's not, um, 
you know, a lot of people think it's just about scientists, but the um, like the RSVPs we have, only thirty percent of the people who um, who are RSVPing identify as scientists, and mm. so it's um, it's mm. definitely going to be a mix of of everything, kind of shouting out what's important to people. No. I, th- I think it's also just like marching and protesting <laughs> in Washington D.C. has really become one of our favorite pastimes in the Trump yeah. era, yeah. right? Like, you know, if you're a single person in Washington D.C. and you want to go, like. Yeah, you can meet a lot of nice single people at the marches every weekend. But, like... It's the new sock hop. But it is. <laughs> but it's also, like, you know, even if you didn't really think about science as a political issue before, you are now, right? Like, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. If, if you're engaged even a little bit. So, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a good turnout. Well, how do you know how many people are coming? Um, or do you know? I don't know. I, um... <laughs> I, I I just don't. I mean, it's it's hopefully the but weather you will said be nice. Something I'm about... hoping that the rain that doesn't actually happen. Um, and and yeah, you know, we're hoping for a we're hoping for a nice crowd. But you you said something about people who are RSVPing. So we um we set up an RSVP on our website, which everybody should go to marchforscience.com slash rsvp slash rsvp. Okay. But. But it's it's a worldwide registration, and also it's you know it's something we set up just a couple of um, weeks ago. So it's not it's not necessarily reflective of the numbers, you know. And we have our our general <laughs> Facebook page, which is a worldwide thing, has like over a million followers, but it's not specific to DC. So it's really hard to know kind of how many are going to show up here versus the satellite cities, where it's kind of giving people the opportunity to to like defend science where they experience it personally, which I think is actually kind of cool. Yeah, sure. Uh, and because not everybody can get to Washington. And also, yeah. Or either to have, don't have the time or can't afford it or whatever. We just had so, somebody tweet us, by the way, that they're going to the march in Long Beach, California. All right. Yeah, so. Long Beach, California. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. March awesome. for Science. Near where Celebrate you everywhere. live. Yeah. Celebrate <laughs> everywhere. March everywhere. Marchforscience.com slash RSVP. RSVP. Um, and um, this... But, but they're all connected, right? I mean, it's all. So um, we, all of them are autonomous and mm. we don't, um, we're not, we don't have a role in um, in planning them. So everyone all over the world is kind of doing the same exact thing we are. I mean, we're, we're dealing with getting like national partners, but in terms of March planning, like, you know, everyone's doing the same thing, whether yeah. it's a small yeah. town or a big or a large city. And we do have two people, um, Kishore Hari and Caitlin Farrow, who are kind of, and there are a few other people working with them who work as like the satellite coordinators. So they uh-huh. are the main kind of uh, conduit. Now, for, for those people who come to Washington, where do you gather and where do you go? On the monument grounds, um, at teach-ins, which are going to be kind of small tents with scientists talking about their work. The sorry. monument grounds, which uh, do you mean the Washington <laughs> the monument? The Washington monument. Okay, sorry. All right. <laughs> We're a town of monuments. I don't want to go to the wrong one. Okay, Just show up at a monument. Um, No, the Washington Monument. Um, And uh, the rally starts at 10 and goes until 2. And then the the march starts at 2 and goes, ah, I should have memorized this. It goes along Constitution and ends at Union Square. Union Station? No, there's not a Union Square. (laughs) In New York there is. (laughs) Okay, so Union Station. That's a long ass Union Park? (laughs) That's... Whoever's listening to this is going to be super mad at me. (laughs) 
Can you uh, Google it? I'll throw a Google it. <laughs> Go to marchforscience.com yeah. and look at the Washington, D.C. march. <laughs> I'll get it set up. You um, can tell I know the streets of D.C. really well. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, I thought I knew them well, but I don't. I, there's a Union Station. I thought it was Columbus Circle. Union Park. But uh, okay. Um, uh, here we go. Yeah. Um, Union into Union Square. Union Square. There is a Union Square here. So I there guess. you go. Look at Bill. Look Where at the Bill. hell is it? I don't know. I'm looking. Hang on. What? Now. Really? Did you know about that? Did that you? Is? No. No. So I know DC better than you do. How long have you lived here for? <laughs> it's like right the, in front of the Capitol, apparently. There you go. Mazel tov. All right. <laughs> and learn something new every day. <laughs> Do you have, have any... I didn't know that. Yeah. No. There is a Union Square. Yeah, it's it's a, a, an 11-acre public place, bar plaza, at the foot of the Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Exactly what I meant. It's where the, it's where the U.S. Ulysses S. Grant Memorial is. I, I could buy there all the time. That, yeah, that's Union Square. Okay. I didn't know. Right. Well, there's also a big... Um, <laughs> there's Building. a big... There's a big uh, reflecting pool there in front of. of if you the, go into the reflecting pool, you've yeah. gone too far. <laughs> right. <laughs> if your feet get wet, you know, yeah, you, you've you know you've far. done something bad. It's Union Pond. <laughs> <laughs> um, who are the big speakers? Do you have any? Um, yes. So the the kind of um, senators, members of Congress, scientists, famous scientists. So we we didn't have we're not having any politicians because um, the march is nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, we knew that if if politicians yeah. got involved, it would it would yeah. kind of pull people into um, medicine, which it's decidedly not. Um, so so no politicians involved. Um, you know, there have been a lot of them that have been supportive, and we're kind of like, thanks for your support. That's great. Promote science, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's kind of the our relationship with them. Um, but in terms of big speakers, um, I mean, the the three who um, who are probably the most familiar names at this point are. Um, Lydia Vilkomaroff, who's um, who's one of our honorary co-chairs and is the woman who was um, led the team that discovered that bacteria produces insulin, which is um, like a kind of basic research federally mm-hmm. funded thing that, you know, changed the world. And um, Mona Hanatisha, Mona, sorry, sorry, um, <laughs> who um, is one of the doctors who discovered um, the Flint water crisis. Mm. And mm-hmm. um, which is incredible. I've seen her, and, yeah, right. she's fantastic. And then Bill Nye, who you know, oh really, was, was yeah. kind of what what got a, who got a lot of us into science, um, and has you know done as much to get science into the hearts and minds of children all over the world as anyone else. Is um, Neil deGrasse Tyson lending any support to the science march in any form? <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson um, is. Uh, <laughs> may like may have here. been may have been recently coaxed into supporting us in some way, okay. but will not um, will not be speaking at the march. Right. Okay, now what the the flack that I well first of all who is your message directed to? Is this a anti Donald Trump march or a are you sending the message to Donald Trump or or beyond that? Um, I mean, because there are a lot of science deniers in this. Capitol building, which is right down the street here, right? I mean, <laughs> of course, I knew that. I know DC. Yeah, um, the, <laughs> it's right by Union Square. <laughs> right by Union Square. Got it. Perfect. Yeah. Good to know. Um, the uh, it's not about Donald Trump, and it's not about any specific party or Republican. And our audience, who we're talking to, is everyone. Because whether or not you choose to kind of value it or respect it, science affects everyone, and and it's really important that we convey that. And it's um, you know, it's a it's a takeaway that we hope. 
um, you know, reverberates <laughs> with represent representatives and that and that it, it influences um, the people who craft policy. But it's also really important that, you know, the people who vote and the people who advocate for themselves and the people who um, who, you know, can influence hopefully what what goes into policy are also motivated. So, you know, the message is for people like citizens around the world who um, whose science affects their everyday life and who need it to be used in policy to protect them and for the politicians who we're hoping will kind of wake up to the idea that science should be listened to. Right. So when you think, well, I think what some people are having a hard time putting, getting their arms around this march on Saturday is when you think about scientists, you think of the scientists with the white lab coat, uh, whose name you never heard of, right? And they spend their entire life there doing incredibly important work, very quietly, under the, under the <laughs> radar. You don't think about people with signs marching in the streets of Washington or Long Beach, California, yeah, or, or wherever, right, or the North, <laughs> or, or the North Pole, uh, and so this is sort of jarring, right, yeah. to some people that scientists are coming out of their cocoons, right? It, are, are scientists? Do you find scientists like split on this that and uncomfortable taking this public protest role? So um, there has been debate around that. Um, you know, some scientists are are fully behind it. Others think that scientists shouldn't necessarily get involved in politics. But um, it seems to, so scientists are kind of difficult to organize in mass. And um, the truth is, is that this should have been happening for the, you know, we should have had marches over the course of the last like 30 years while science was under attack. This is not the first time it's happened. But the, um, the recent attacks on science were so kind of blatant and egregious that um, everyone was kind of like, oh, there's no denying it anymore. Like they're not just ignoring science at this point; they're kind of actively attacking it and trying to trying to get rid of it. And that I think kind of woke everyone up. And so it's kind of my perspective on it is is you know not everyone enjoys marches or thinks they're effective, and that's fine. I mean, I personally think they're effective, and so do the you know thousands mm -hmm. of people around the world who are going to go. But if you don't want to march, then do something. Because, like, you know, if you respect your work and you think it's important, then, you know, communicate it somehow and mobilize somehow to defend its value in the world. I, I mean, I hear a lot of that, too. These marches don't do anything. And, you know, if you really want to get active, you know, donate money to a candidate or something like that. But I do think that it serves a couple of different purposes to get out there and march. Number one, I mean, it really does send a message, just to draw another comparison to the Women's March. We know that Donald Trump saw that and did not like that. We saw that the marches, uh, the tax march last weekend, that Trump saw. He was tweeting about it. Oh, right? was yeah, he was tweeting about who, the... Who paid all who those paid, protesters. Yeah, the paid protesters. Yeah, to find out. So, like, paid. yeah, right? <laughs> and so, like, it's nice to sort of make sure that that message is out there and that it gets seen. But also, it... Like, it's like you said, there's this feeling of sort of helplessness and frustration as you watch some of these things happen. And I know that y'all are above politics and not trying to be partisan about it, but like you look at the EPA and what Donald Trump is doing to the EPA. You look at what he's doing to the Paris Agreement. You look at all these different things. It's just like full-on blatant attacks on the environment. And you feel helpless. Like so, it sucks. <laughs> it really does You know suck. what I mean? It's just Sorry, like you're Mom. watching it. Yeah. But it's just like, what is happening? Um, it's it, what I the way kind of I and again, like, you know, the it's not as though um, ignoring the consensus on climate change research is a new phenomenon. It didn't start in January. Yeah, right, so right. It's, you can't really you're, you're kind of giving yeah. the new administration kind of too oh. much credit acting like it's just about that. 
But but you know I I talk a lot with a lot of scientists. A lot of my friends work in you know in various scientific fields, and there's this sense kind of when you're just talking with with people who you know share that idea that maybe you're like overreacting. Like, is it really as bad as you think it is? And then when this went viral and immediately it was all over the world with you know thirty thousand followers on Twitter in like six hours. Um, I was like, oh, like it's not actually, we're not actually overreacting. This is yeah. the thing that people yeah. are actually like noticing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. okay, great. Yeah, it's here. So like, let's mobilize and, you know, people actually, actually recognize this too. So it was, um, you know, it's, it's horrifying that it needed to happen, but it was oddly comforting in a way that so many people cared that I was yeah. like, oh God, we're not alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's a yeah. real thing. Um, there is a, another march scheduled for Later in April, April I believe. April 29. Yeah, just on climate change, yeah. right? Well, climate so, change and a few other issues, yeah. Whoa, whoa, that's just a week from, yeah, a week from Saturday. Yeah. So isn't that a little <laughs> confusing for people? Um, it is, I'm sure. Um, there is certainly, um, you know, overlap in the in the people who will march for both, but there um, there's plenty of motivation to go around. And um, and they're both really important. You know, the the fact that we are a march that focuses on kind of more general science, and um, and you know focuses on on all science's role in society, is incredibly important. And obviously, research on um, like specifically work on climate change is incredibly important. So we're hoping that people come out for both of them because. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully the weather will be nice both weekends in a row. Hopefully climate change works in our favor this time. Right. And um, we uh, <laughs> and we just, you know, that's um, we're hoping that people go out, come out for both of them. Right. What I and I do, too. Right. And, and you know, I see what else do you have to do on a Saturday? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the March for Science is a lot broader, as you pointed out. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of territory and the climate change is focused on that one particular uh, group of climate uh, of science deniers, like led by James Inhofe in the in the U.S. Senate, um, it, what I find so puzzling about this, I guess personally, is to deny science. It's I mean, do we really have to go out today and protest in order for people to take science seriously? It's like <laughs> outrageous. Denying science is like denying reality to me. It know? is. <laughs> Um, the great thing about science, though, is that um, denying things... it doesn't make it go away. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. uh, you, know, you can deny it all you want, but it's still it's still affecting your life. Like if you really want to deny science and, you know, get rid of your cell phone, <laughs> like stop listening to the radio. Um, <laughs> the science is behind all of that stuff. So. So, yeah, it's pretty shocking that this is something that has to happen. That we even have to that it should even be uh, you know, a debatable question. Right. I mean, you get the science, you get the f the facts, and then you you can draw maybe your own conclusions from that. What that means in terms of public policy, mm -hmm. but if you don't start somewhere, right, with the basic facts or the basic uh, truths that science has scientists have discovered, and you deny that, um, I, I, I don't know. It just seems. It's a train wreck. It is. I mean, that's one of the reasons that things like um, deletion of data is so alarming, because it's kind of, if you delete all of the climate change research that we have. Which they're and, trying to do. Which they're trying, and people kind of w have been frantically backing it up um, internationally, yeah. which yeah. is amazing. There's like real, real global support for not <laughs> kind of destroying the world. And, um, you know, but if you, if you delete that, then you remove the evidence that climate change exists. 
and um, and then invalidates ignoring it. And so it's yeah. it's you know it's a it's a crafty thing to do. Well, so Carolyn Weinberger is co-chair of this great March for Science this Saturday, Earth Day. Uh, you want to find out, join in anywhere near where you live. Go to marchforscience.com slash RSVP. Get out and march on. It's important on Saturday. And thank you for coming in. This for me. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It's a good day. Bill O'Reilly is gone, gone from Fox News. Not because Fox wanted to get rid of him, but because the New York Times blew the whistle and so did Gretchen Carlson. Hello, everybody, on a Thursday, April 20. That's another good reason to celebrate. Uh, You know what April 20 is all about. It is the Bill Press Show here coming to you live from our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill. And we are with you everywhere you uh, happen to be in this great land of ours, uh, on television, on radio, on Free Speech TV, and on WCPT out in Chicago, and on YouTube everywhere, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Lots to talk about. Yes, big shakeup at Fox News. They made the big decision to dump Bill O'Reilly. They had, they didn't want to, but they had to. Uh, Georgia 6... He really, and the now's the big showdown. June 20 is the runoff. John Ossoff saying uh, he's confident we're going to win. It's up to how much, whether Democrats take that seriously and continue the big push they made for the uh, primary. Coming very close to winning, not quite, but scaring the hell out of the Republican Party in a what was a safe Republican district. And the White House uh, insisting that the aircraft carrier Carl Vinson really was headed to North Korea in the first place, even though it was photographed 3,500 miles away off the coast of Indonesia. So much to talk about. And we're so uh, pleased to welcome here to the studio uh, this half hour a senior fellow for the, at the Center for American Progress, author of the great new book we've talked with him about called Brown is the New White, Steve Phillips. Hello, Steve. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. You are Californian. So uh, as another fellow Californian, welcome yeah, you to the district. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I remember your days with the Democratic Party in California. Oh, boy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we laid a good foundation there for some things that have uh, that have happened since. At any rate, and we'll get into all the news of the day with you and with Steve. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, the Secret Service yesterday said that they are going to end public access to the sidewalk along the south fence of the White House beginning yesterday. Now, the sidewalk had been closed nightly from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., but they're now saying it is going to be closed down all the time, around the clock, so you will not be able to walk along that sidewalk 
This again goes the along south the side. south side of the White House. That is, of course, uh, well, a, a man scaled a fence on the yeah. east side of yeah. the White House uh, last month, and he was on the grounds for 16 minutes before he was apprehended. Secret, Secret Service says that uh, in order to cut down on more incidents like that, they have to shut down the sidewalk altogether. So if you want to get close to the White House for that good photo, it's going to be a little bit harder. Uh, they, by the way, uh, haven't haven't raised the fence yet. They've put Not some yet. additional, those little bicycle fences in front. Yeah. But, um, Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Uh, if you want to have a beer and you want to have some snacks, mm-hmm. you can do that. There is a company, a uh, brewery, actually, in Sweden that has made the perfect bar snack. They've made potato chips to go with their beer. Now, here's the thing, though. <laughs> These potato chips cost... $56 for an order of them, and you only get five potato chips. What? Here's the thing. These potato chips have truffle seaweed from the Faroe Islands, mm. crown dill from the Bjar Peninsula, potatoes <clears throat> plucked from the hillside of Sweden, and India pale ale wort, along with Matsutake mushrooms. That's, All on these five chips. I don't consider that bar food. I don't either. <laughs> Can I just say something? Truffles, by the way, yeah. are like the most overrated luxurious food. They, just, they just get put on everything and it jacks the price off of like normal things like fries and chips. Not here for it. You might be a man alone on that one. I'm not going to go with you there. I, I think it's overused, but I don't know that I need a truffle <laughs> seaweed potato chip. No. To go with my beer. I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to pay $56 for it. No! <laughs> I don't think I've paid $56 for potato chips my entire life. No, you give me a good dollar bag of lay potato chips. I'm I'm, I'm there. I'm good with that. That's all I need. Right. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Thursday, April 20, welcome to the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us as we uh, tackle the big stories of the day nationwide, worldwide here on the Bill Press Show. We'll tell you what's going on. I look forward to you telling uh, you're telling us what it all means to you. As all part of the Young Turks Network, we're reaching out to you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, coast to coast, of course. Also nationwide on Free Speech TV, and we got the uh, Chicago area covered on WCPT. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to see you today. As we celebrate April 20, uh, and we all know April 20 is a day that everybody goes out. Big day in Colorado. Uh, it's Legalized Pot Day celebration, uh, and we're going to have our own celebration of uh, April 20. Following this broadcast, a special broadcast on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show and on Facebook. <laughs> don't don't no, no, start no. with the bong right. ribs yet. It's no, no, too no. early. After. <laughs> after. after. Yeah. Coming up next. Uh, and also on Facebook Live, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, if you haven't signed up on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, you better do so like right now. Yeah, do so it. You can watch our special broadcast. Do it. Coming up in about an hour. Yep. Uh, and with us here for this half hour to talk uh, political news of the day, particularly Steve Phillips, author of the book Brown is the New White, senior fellow at the Great Center for American Progress. Steve, it's good to see you. Again, welcome to Washington. Uh, I want to ask you, I want to come back to your book because it's been a while since we talked about it. But 
I mean, how important is this emerging new uh, Latino vote? Brown is the new white. Yeah, so it's, uh, I think it's important partly because Trump is so draconian and and cavalier with what he's doing. It gives a sense of um, feeling that we actually don't represent the majority within the country in terms of, and it's important to remember 2008, 2012, 2016, the majority of people voted for the Democrat. And so that's what I talk about is a new American majority consisting of progressive whites and people of color, the overwhelming majority of people of color and a meaningful minority of, of progressive whites. Clinton got 37 percent. Obama had 39 percent. That is the majority mm-hmm. in that Trump only snuck in through a really a quirk of 78,000 votes in those three states, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania. So that's why we've actually just come out with a report called Return of the Majority. Uh, Robep taking back our country and really emphasizing the majority part and that if we there are 10 states that we lost by single digits and that if we start building and investing now and increasing the turnout in those areas, that's the prescription for being able to actually take back the country uh, in terms of the presidential piece. And big turnout is also going to be important in terms of being able to win um, these House seats, too. That's something yeah. people don't actually fully appreciate. We started to see in Georgia and, and with Kansas as well. Right. I want to talk about those particularly. So um, of the progressive whites uh, and people of color, right, particularly uh, Latinos and African-Americans, uh, how – do you remember what, – what did Hillary run among African-Americans? She was uh, – it, it was a right around 90 percent. She had like 94 yeah. percent of the African-American women and about 84 yeah. percent or so of African-American men. Uh, there's a lot of – uh, dispute around the Latino numbers, but it was right around the seventy percent. Uh, around seventy so, percent, yeah. right? And and among white progressives, <clears throat> so you got thirty-seven percent of the white vote. Thirty-seven, the white vote, I should say. Yes. And Donald mm-hmm. Trump got thirty-nine percent. Is that? Oh no, no, I think she got thirty-seven percent of the of the whites, and then oh, I think got right. But actually, there was a significant third and fourth party vote, which is also very p- important. People to understand. There were more. There were five million more third and fourth party votes this last year than there were in 2012, hmm. and that the drop off in and it's important people to understand because there's all this attention, all this kind of angst and um, worry about the existential crisis, and have to be go talk to the Trump voters and get them back. That's not why we lost. We lost because Democratic voters defected third and fourth party. Hmm. Trump actually got fewer votes in Wisconsin than Romney did. But more Democratic votes defected from Democrats to Johnson and Stein. So that's what actually happened in terms of how we lost that. That's one of the things I always that I thought was so fascinating that we didn't talk enough about is this was not some surge on Donald Trump's part. This is not Donald Trump tapping into exactly. I mean, like I think he did tap into something that we didn't necessarily see coming, but not in some gigantic way that it was this wave election. Right. Right. And it's very important the implications of that. Do we have to go get those people back or do we have to solidify the progressive vote? And that's what happens. We got divided and Trump snuck in in the middle on there. How did Hillary miss the vote on the white vote? Well, she kind of missed the vote, white vote, and on the African American vote, yeah. and so there was such a uh, so much caution in their DNA in terms of not taking any risk on and, the part of those in the campaign, right? Yeah, and so there was very little done, and that there's such fear of alienating uh, the white swing voters that they wouldn't take any strong stand. So Trump ran a fundamentally unapologetic 
racist, misogynistic, and xenophobic campaign. Yeah. And the response <laughs> from the Clinton God. campaign was, well, he was a bad personality. Mm-hmm. And so they did not challenge people to take a stand against that kind of behavior. And so it allowed it to be excused. And so it's a different thing to say, if they're saying that that's the racist, sexist campaign, then there's something wrong with you if you're part of that campaign. If you're just saying, well, he's a bad guy, then there's something wrong with them, with him. And so it makes it more acceptable. So they were unable to draw that line, challenge people to be better, and to explicitly call out the campaign for what it was. They're unable to, too many Democrats are unable to uh, be effective in the context of a really polarized, particularly racially polarized environment, and really don't know what to say and try to ignore it. And obviously that didn't work. And those who defected to uh, third or fourth party, is that because, again, Hillary was not willing to go far enough left or... I think that was a lot. I mean, clearly there was the, you know, there was a tremendous enthusiasm around Bernie Sanders' campaign, and there was not a sense for a number of reasons. I think it was a, a number of reasons. The election is close. You could take any of these different pieces. But part of it was that they, she did not inspire people to feel like we're going to be on this crusade to bring about ending any inequality in the country. And so that, I think, was a critical piece. Mm-hmm. I do think there was an element I think we should, uh, in terms of the uh, – kind of latent sexism around, well, I don't like her, et cetera, that type of thing. And I don't think we can dismiss that. But actually, I heard uh, shortly after the election, Elizabeth Warren speak. And it was just striking the, the juxtaposition in terms of, like, there's no question whose side she is on and the forcefulness around a pop, you know, populist economic yeah, agenda. Yeah, right, which you, didn't, you, you hear from a Bernie Sanders <laughs> or an Elizabeth Warren and not necessarily so clearly from Hillary, for right. sure. There yeah. is something to be said about your comment about sexism, though, because y- y- even if you look at... It was a factor. It, it absolutely was a big factor. And I think that, uh, me personally, right, like I think we, I learned, it is, you can get away with a lot when you're running against a woman. You can mm-hmm. say some terrible, terrible things <clears throat> and be completely allowed to say them. And I think it's really interesting now that the Republicans, they're sort of uh, boogeymen, if you will, are Elizabeth Warren and Nancy Pelosi. Mm -hmm. This is who they're falling back to, right? Right. Like, you don't see them coming after Chuck Schumer Mm -hmm. as much as they go after Nancy Pelosi or Elizabeth Warren, because you can do that. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They do. Yeah. All right. So let's let's move forward now, where um, after the big loss, you know, all the talk about you've got to revitalize the Democratic Party, both Keith Ellison and Tom Perez said, 50-state strategy, we're going to compete everywhere, and and we're going to bounce back. And then we have three special elections coming up. One, t- t- two have happened now. Uh, Democrats didn't win either one. In Kansas, they didn't even compete. They, they, they took the old line that I've heard for so many years that we could, there's no way we could win that race, and so we're not even going to spend a dime in it. Well, you sure as hell can't win it if you don't right. play, right? Right. right. Um, now, Georgia, they did. But let's start. Did they make a mistake in Kansas? Yeah. Well, I think what the mistake that kind of everyone is making is not correctly analyzing the numbers around what it actually takes to win these races. And so there is this presumption that, and, the, and even the media has this piece around, well, the way you, the opportunity is because Trump is not popular, and so people will turn against him. But the real opportunity is that there are more Democrats in these districts than people realize. 
and there's likely to be, and there usually is, a drop-off in participation on really on both sides. Yeah. There's a lack of enthusiasm. It's a midterm race. Sure, it's so not as special. high. And so that's the opportunity. If you can hold and keep energized the Democratic voters, the Republicans are not as motivated now. They've got the president, you know, they, they, yeah. they got Obama out, they got all the elections they wanted, so what, they're not as angry and riled up a bit. So that's the opening. And so that's how we came close in Georgia and in uh, Kansas. And I think that's also the opportunity in, um, in Montana. There are, in the Georgia race, for instance, there's 125,000 people voted Democrat in November, even if in a district that's always goes to the Republicans. And so that's a core number. And Ossoff was able to get 93,000 votes. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not, there are enough Democrats in a low turnout race to be able to win. And so that's the, stri- the strategic area people are making is to think that you have to be more moderate, where in fact what you need to do is inspire and motivate and turn out the Democrats. That's the strategy for winning a low turnout race. Right. Uh, so you're saying that Democrats got 125,000 in November in that district? The congressional candidate did. The congressional, the congressional yeah. candidate right. did. Right. Uh, and Ossoff then didn't even get as many as... Well, you know. he got... So that his he got 93,000, um, and but the... the the drop-off was much less. So they actually did a pretty good job of getting people back out in that race um, versus the Republican drop-off was much more significant. Hmm. And that's kind of what's taking place across the board. And I actually hadn't even realized this myself. I went back and looked at the 2006 numbers when Democrats took control. The narrative is that, well, they had they moved, you know, Rahm Emanuel got more moderate candidates, and that's actually how they won. But actually what happened, and I didn't even realize this, I just did these numbers this week, the Republican drop-off in 06 was 20 million voters. The Democratic drop-off was just 10 million voters. That's how we picked up the House in 2006. And then it flipped in 2010, and the Democratic drop-off was huge, and the Republican drop-off was not. So something as old-fashioned as uh, <clears throat> get out the vote, right? That's the whole game, ball game, And so that's the thing that people need to realize. And that's the opportunity, because Democrats are so motivated and, and energized right now turning that into a get-out-the-vote effort, and particularly in the key areas, right? We need 24 seats. There are 23 Republican-held seats that Clinton won those districts. And so if we do a major voter turnout effort in those seats, that's how we can actually take back the House. Um, Montana, is it doable? It's interesting. Montana is doable. First of all, we do know that a Democrat can win statewide in Montana, and this is Montana's only one member of Congress, so it's a statewide race. John Tester, Democrat, is a U.S. senator from Montana. Uh, Steve Bullock, Bullock, right, right, is the uh, Democratic governor uh, of Montana. Right, so it can be done, and Bullock just won last year. So, I mean, yes. Trump carries the state, and Bullock went so clearly. So there's against the guy who's running against Rob Quist, right? Right. So there's definitely an opportunity there. I mean, the the, the that state has shown it will, like you're saying, elect for it will elect Democrats, and so that again becomes an organizing challenge. And so that's one of the big things that you know I've been you know pushing on and really trying to um, encourage people to shift their attention in terms of things we're lifting up through, you know, our, our analyses at the Democracy and Color team is that there's such an obsession with television ads and that we spend so much money on television ads and most yeah. of them are designed to try to persuade uh, likely voters rather than putting efforts into trying to mobilize core Democratic voters. And that's the strategic shift 
that we have to make in the Montana race and in a number of other races. Steve Phillips is with us. Uh, you can follow him now at AmericanProgress.org. The book is still out there, too, called uh, Brown is the New White, How the Demo- Demographic Revolution Has Created a New American uh, Majority. What can we expect under, um, w- w- well, maybe one of the impediments to get out the vote or just to winning is the voter disenfranchisement right. as well, which was a big deal uh, thanks to the Supreme Court, you know, under the last administration, but where Eric Holder and Barack Obama were doing their best to fight some of these state moves. Now, with Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions, it's Katie bar the door, right? I mean, these states are going to be, we're going to see a lot more attempts, aren't we, to stamp down the vote? Yeah, well, that's clearly, I I would argue, that is really the essence of what the 2016 election was all about. It was really about trying to roll back the clock on the changes that are taking place in the country, and particularly demographic changes. All this immigration talk, I mean, he was talking, he was talking about a wall against the Canadian border, right? I mean, it's to stop, yeah, right, 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 right. This is yeah. to stop the Mexicans and people of color from coming into the country. And so that's part of it. And then the other part is the voter suppression piece in terms of really being yeah, able to yeah. try to make it harder to vote. And if you would think if you, you know, if we're a democracy and we want to have people participating, you should make it easier to vote. But there's lots of things. So the, one of the bulwarks, and there's been a lot of good work done by like, Lawyers Committee of Civil Rights um, and the number of the voting rights groups, and they've had some successes in the courts. And so that's been very encouraging. Some of these uh, district-level judges have been um, They've called the them line. out for being blatantly racist right. uh, attempts to right. Suppress the um, like in, in, in North Carolina, um, mm-hmm. uh, Wisconsin, other places. So it is part of the issue. I do think we need to think about, uh, is it possible to kind of leapfrog that opposition? And I think that the technological revolution makes it more possible, right? I mean, you can go uh, to any Macy's in the country and show up, and they reasonably confident you are who you are, and they take your card and your money. So why can't we have same-day voter registration everywhere? Right, and we have the technological ability to do that. So that's where I kind of wonder, well, can we get, you know, some people at Google to sort of validate, saying, yeah, technologically we could do this. Sure. And then then we can kind of try to potentially leapfrog some of that opposition and whatnot. So, but I still believe that it's through organizing and information and educating people, we still have the numbers. I mean, there's more obstacles, but I think those obstacles can be overcome. Yeah, I mean, same. Uh, uh, all of those efforts. To make it um, make it easier to vote or to encourage people to vote, as you mentioned, same day voter registration, the early voting, right? You know, uh, some of the Sunday voting, the mm-hmm. rounding up. Um, what is it? What's that phrase that they use? Pray oh. and oh, souls to the polls. Souls, souls to the polls. Right, right, right. yes, right. Yeah, souls <clears throat> to the polls, uh, and all of those efforts um, that that the. Uh, the Republicans are really determined to, right. to, you know, to reverse them. Yeah. No, they try to find anything. They try to make it as hard to vote as possible, basically. Yeah. And so anything that any uh, reforms that have been put in place to make it easier to vote, they're trying to actually roll back. Um, so with, with zero evidence of voter fraud. To oh, back absolutely. Them up. Absolutely. But when when have they needed evidence? Well. They have all the evidence they need, and the evidence that they need it is does, that it works. Right? So, yeah. The evidence they need is that it, uh, they have is that it doesn't exist, but they still assert it. Right. right. And, uh, yeah. Well, they, they, they're not constrained by what the actual facts are. Right. They have an agenda. Um, as, as you know, um, 
and I point out in my last book called Buyer's Remorse, under President Obama, he did a lot of very good things. One thing that he didn't spend a lot of time on and attention on was the Democratic Party. Yeah. Uh, and during his eight years, we lost about over 900 state legislative seats, um, which is pretty uh, dangerous when it comes to right. reapportionment and drawing new districts, which right. we're going to have to do again in 2020. Is there any effort now to get or what is the, what is the awareness of the need to get those seats back, flip some of those state legislatures back, right. and <clears throat> governors back, right, right, in order to be prepared <clears throat> to, to to move after twenty twenty. Yeah, well, there's a lot of there's actually some very exciting um, uh, prospects in terms of the governors' races, in particular, that are happening. So there's gonna be a number of uh, very exciting opportunities in twenty eighteen, and so already in Florida. Uh, Andrew Gillum, the mayor of Tallahassee, is running for governor of Florida, 37-year-old African-American, one of the youngest people elected in office there. He'll have raised close to a million dollars in his first month of that race. He's actually tied in the polls for that lead. Hmm. And so Andrew is somebody who has can be a real national star and is already out there in, uh, in Florida. What's his last name? Gillum, G-I-L-L-U-M. Uh, and then in Georgia... House, minor, uh, House Minority Leader Stacey Abrams is likely to run for governor there. Stacey is another, you know, late uh, 30s, African-American woman, very sophisticated, uh, effective leader. She would be the first African-American woman elected governor in the history of the United States of America. Whoa. And like to yeah. point out, the country's been around a long time. <laughs> so she has yeah, a Yeah, I never had thought about that. Never y yet, huh? So she has a great chance. The uh, the primary is likely to be sixty uh, percent black, and so they're trying mm. to be able to get that nomination. And then the, we lose Georgia by about two hundred thousand votes, and so that again is a voter turnout issue. And Stacey yeah. understands intimately what is required. She actually had started a nonprofit called New Georgia Project, doing voter mobilization work. They've registered more than a hundred thousand African Americans um, in uh, Georgia over the past few years through that effort. So those two races are very exciting examples of candidates who are going to come up, and then they would they would be in charge of the redistricting, mm -hmm. and so they both be in charge of redistricting, and they would mm -hmm. control the political machinery upon which whatever Democratic nominee would run in 2020. So those are two, I think, examples of very exciting races that are going to be happening. And we don't have up. a Democratic governor in South. Well, I guess in North Carolina we do now, but that's but that's right. The we only... do now barely, <laughs> right? So yeah, because they, uh, of the legislature there, right? Yeah, so he was able to actually get in, um, but that right that just happened. Right? But so. and in state legislative races now, I know uh, that Eric, uh, in theory at least, Eric Holder and Barack Obama have an organization. And that their whole focus is right. going to be right state <clears throat> legislative races. I, I don't want to be too disrespectful, but I don't think those two guys are the are, are going to. I don't put any confidence in their ability to to win state legislative races. He didn't care about it for eight years. I don't think he's going to care about it now. Yeah, I don't. He's writing his book, he's on his yacht with Tom y Tom Hanks and <laughs> Richard Branson. Richard and Branson, uh, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know have any insight in. Information. I mean, one could argue that, you know, maybe they realized that was an area they neglected, and now he wants to actually pay a turn and pay attention to it and the, whatnot. Show me so, the money. <laughs> well, I do you know, know they I mean? are out trying to actually raise money for this effort. So that at least is encouraging because in 2010, there's a lot of energy and effort and resources went towards the census. 
But then we kind of felt on the job around the redistricting. It wasn't as much attention yeah. to the redistricting yeah. piece. So I do think it's more on people's radar now. Some of the progressive you know, donors and foundations are trying to fund efforts to lay the groundwork for uh, the redistricting piece. But you're right, it is going to take winning both the governorships and state legislative seats to be able to be in a position um, to make those changes come 2021. What impact do you think, or I guess, is there any way to mitigate or to soften the impact of a Jeff Sessions as attorney general? He's, to me, he's the most dangerous of the Trump nominees, and he seems to be determined in in so many areas, like even efforts that Republicans and Democrats are saying we have to do something about our police departments, for example, nationwide, and where there's... Even police departments have cooperated with the Justice Department in some new rules and regulations. Jeff Sessions wants to yeah. throw them all out. Yeah, no, it's they're they're on a mission. Voter, voter suppression. Yeah, yeah, no, they're on a mission to roll back everything they possibly can. So I think that's kind of two or three things. Well, one is I do think that we have to continue to press this issue around um, impeachment. And that I actually and to drive as many wedges among the, among the Republicans as possible. I don't think that, uh, particularly if Republicans start to feel vulnerable politically, that they have any allegiance to him. And so, if there's any efforts to kind of drive those wedges, hmm. I think is actually a possibility. Um, and so, then if he were so the danger of Trump is he he is um, impervious to political consequence because he's not from politics. He doesn't really care. And so if we were actually able to get him out, then I think like a Pence would have to be more mindful of the political ramifications of these different types of pieces. The courts is another area. Like we have, the courts have, there are a number of judges who have been holding the line, standing up for the right thing, so we have to continue to fight in those mm-hmm. areas. Mm-hmm. And then in as many states as possible. And so a lot of the work is happening in California, trying to yeah. oppose yeah. these pieces. And so if you look quantitatively, California, New York, if we can get into the Florida, if we can do th- get control in those states, at least those numbers of people can be more protected from the, what the Justice Department is doing. And that's not a small part of the population. No, but that's where the resistance really <clears throat> will come, right, right, from the courts and, and from the states. Yeah. And you got like a, a Jerry Brown who says, you know, you take down the NASA satellite, we'll put, put, put up our own damn right. satellite uh, right. on, the, on the CAFE standards. Yeah, you may weaken them nationwide, but we're not going to right. allow those cars to be sold in California. Right. Uh, and you get same thing with Medicaid. They try to do away with Medicaid. There are many states, not just California, that are going to say, no, 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 no. no. Right. We're going to continue this right. expansion. And then even in states where we don't have the political power, if we could make those the issues that we run on, because mm-hmm. they're actually popular issues. And yeah. so that's the opportunity. That's what the fight needs to really look like between now and 2018. So you're working on another book? Well, we're going to do a revision of this one yeah. in terms yeah, yeah, yeah. of yeah. incorporating the results from 2016. Right? We were, really wrote this as a wake-up call of the Democratic Party, um, and unfortunately don't think they really heated it. And so really try to point out, Good. though, that they, we do have this majority. We need to double down on expanding it and investing in it. Well, great, because they need another wake-up call, well, right? We're trying. Absolutely. Get, make sure they get the message. Steve, it's so good to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me on. Uh, follow him again, his good work at AmericanProgress.org. See you again. And when we come back, Igor Bobish joins us from the Huffington Post on uh, the many, many, many and growing conflicts of interest between Donald Trump, his family, uh, and the law. We'll be right back.
You know, the president's over there talking today about uh, Susan Rice going to jail. They need to go to jail. Uh, Bill O'Reilly needs to go to jail. Happy 420 from your friends at the Bill Press Show. It's 420, which means we're going to spend the day getting baked. Wait a minute. How is that different from any other day? This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go now on 420, April 20. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the uh, Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Celebrating 420 in a very special way. (laughs) Uh, after the broadcast, we will have our own special 420 broadcast. First time we've ever done this. Um, not yet, Bill. Not yet. Not, no, not yet. Uh, <laughs> Easy. All right. Easy. And if you want to join us, uh, we invite you to um, share in the fun by, on Facebook, Facebook Live, of course. We'll be broadcasting. And most importantly, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show which you'll automatically be alerted to if you've already subscribed. If you haven't, do it right now. For those of you who are are, yes, uh, yes. are, are just listening to us on the radio, either through uh, your radio station or the stream or whatever, this is going to be an Internet-only feed. So you have to f- mm. follow us on uh, or like our page on, on Facebook or subscribe on YouTube to see it. That's the only way you can get a hold of it. So right. go do that. All right. You got it. In the meantime, some serious business to discuss with a serious man, Igor Babich, is a political reporter, associate politi- politics editor, I'm sorry, at the great Huffington Post. Igor, it's good to see you. Great to be here. It's been a while. Everything good? Yeah, everything's great. So are you in mourning today over the loss of Bill O'Reilly to the world of journalism? I, I, I think <laughs> <laughs> the, the country is better off. Uh, we, as uh, Internet denizens, uh, might be a little worse off. Bill O'Reilly did provide a lot of Internet traffic with his yeah, crazy right. outbursts and all that so in that regard i'm gonna sad to see him, i'm sad to see him go but in in you know all things considered it's it's about time um did fox do this um just because now we have a new fox and uh <laughs> they want to set the high moral standards for the entire country what happened do you think i i think the pressure was was too high it, it just came down to the bottom line too many advertisers left him um, in a way that he's never seen before, and when it comes down to it, they're they're worried about the money they're going to make. So that was that was it, right? Uh, and you got to give credit, I think, to um, with the fact that Bill O'Reilly and Roger Ailes are both gone, as we talked a little bit earlier. Roger Ailes would not would would still be there if it weren't for Gretchen Carlson being brave enough to file her lawsuit, crazy, and, and others who joined. Yeah. Her. And if they just let Gretchen keep that, you know, what was a 2 p.m. show, yeah. <laughs> none yeah. of this would have yeah. happened. Yeah. And Bill O'Reilly would be there still, uh, right. if weren't for the advertiser, but also weren't for the New York Times that broke this story about uh, all the money they'd paid out to settle sexual harassment lawsuits against Bill O'Reilly that they paid out. And then they s- signed him for another, yeah. whatever, five years at $20 million a year, knowing that they paid out all this money and knowing who he was and what he was up to. Right. Yeah. If you and read he, his, if you read a statement from yesterday, he's still maintaining his innocence. He's calling it an unfounded. Right. Um, despite the fact that they paid out some thirteen million in settlements. So pretty crazy. 
And to me, the, mo the greatest outrage of all is the front page of the New York Times today, if you haven't seen it yet, with the photo not. the day before he is fired, Bill O'Reilly at the <laughs> Vatican shaking hands <laughs> with the Pope. Isn't that grotesque? Oh, man. That's now, amazing. The, point behind, the, the story behind this is this doesn't happen by accident. Some cardinal, Dolan, some high muckety-muck Dolan, <laughs> Cardinal Dolan from yeah. New York, arranged to have Bill O'Reilly up front in a spot where the Pope knows whoever there they're supposed to shake hands with. Pope doesn't know who Bill O'Reilly is, but he's set up. And, and Dolan arranged with some clown at the Vatican to have Bill O'Reilly have that opportunity. It's disgusting. And they know exactly who he is. I mean, th this happens at a time when he's on vacation to run away from the yeah. sexual harassment <laughs> charges, right? And, and they know that he's about to be fired by Fox, and they set him up this photo with the Pope. God, it's disgusting. You know who else met with the Pope uh, before they stepped down, right? John Boehner. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Just oh, coincidentally. Shoot, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Moral of the story is, if you got a handshake with the Pope, you're, you're on your done. way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. I think it is important to remember a couple things. Number one, Fox News would have continued to have Bill O'Reilly on if people hadn't lost their mind. So, like, Bill O'Reilly, bad guy, and he's gone, but that's hardly the end of the problem. There's still a lot of people at Fox News still who covered this up and paid people off and helped enable this. And also, the President of the United States says that Bill O'Reilly is a good guy and should not have settled. That's a quote. He should not have settled as well. Uh, that's about a week ago. Donald Trump yeah. said he should not have settled. Yes. Crazy. Takes one to know one in that case. <laughs> All right. Uh, we want to talk to you about, among other things, about Ivanka Trump, not just Ivanka, the whole Trump family. Uh, and the conflict of interest, but most, again, New York Times this week, thank you, uh, on Ivanka Trump. So she, she's got these, her business was just booming, right, her fashion line. Um, between last year and this year, their profits went up 771%, uh, which might have something to do with the fact that her father's president, she's <laughs> out there at all these meetings and everything. Kellyanne Conway uh, boosting her products. Boosting products, her products yeah. And Monday, the New York Times reports that she got two new trademarks or three or whatever in China the very day, coincidentally, coincidentally. she's having <laughs> dinner with the president of China and her father at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, is this legal and what's going on? Um, I mean, I, whether it's legal or not, I don't know. But it's definitely ethically uh, shady, uh, at least what from watchdogs are, are screaming off the top of their heads, you know. Uh, I do... I uh, enjoy the fact that both the president's Twitter feed and his kids' Twitter feed is a goldmine of uh, information about, you know, past statements they've said, previous meet people they've met with. Uh, case in point is a, treat, a tweet that recently came up from Ivanka Trump um, of her meeting with uh, the president of Turkey back in 2012 uh, when the uh, Trump Towers opened, I believe it was in Istanbul. Um, that kind of reveals the extent to which the Trump family uh, has these business connections all over the world, not just Turkey, um, that are now putting the president in a difficult place when it comes to policy. Um, case in point, his call to President Erdogan, uh, congratulating him on his recent referendum victory, which critics say is um, you know, leading Turkey down to authoritarianism. 
Um, so it's just this kind of thing that's going to keep happening over and over again. And uh, we're going to see it in uh, next week when uh, President Trump welcomes the president of uh, Argentina to the White House. Uh, they've known each other for decades. They've had business dealings in New York. He's the son of a wealthy businessman. Trump is also. So uh, there's uh, these kind of storylines are just going to keep repeating. And he's, he's brought this kind of mess to the White House, um, him particularly. And he's not divested. Um, his blind trust is not blind. So uh, it's just going to be keep happening. His blind trust is not blind, and neither is Ivanka's. I mean, she no. said she's turned things over to this uh, foundation or whatever, but she maintains financial control. Uh, she makes the final decisions on everything. And as you point out, she and he, her father, will both be sitting in meetings, making decisions, impacting countries where they have businesses and they have, I mean, active, ongoing uh, operations and are trying to expand. Um, Jamie, if we have this, you mentioned President Erdogan of, uh, of, of Turkey. Uh, this was Trump back in December 15, I think it was, where, where he admitted that when it comes to Turkey, um, you know, he's got, this is maybe when he was just beginning as a candidate, he admitted he had some conflicts there. Well, I also have, I have a little conflict of interest because I have a major, major building in Istanbul, and it's a tremendously <laughs> successful job. It's called Trump Towers, two towers instead of one. Not the usual one, it's two. And I've gotten to know Turkey very well, and they're amazing people. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry, hey, Jamie, Jamie, I'm done. sorry, can you tell me where that was again? Can you tell me where the towers are? Yeah. In Istanbul. <laughs> Istanbul. Of course, right. now that he's president, he doesn't have conflicts of interest. No, no, no. It's just, no, it's, it's, it's legal now that he's right. president. So. But this, as you say, this played out this week when I was at the briefing Monday where Sean Spicer said uh, he was asked if he had any comment on the election in Turkey. And he said, no, 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 we, it would not be appropriate for us to comment because there's some challenges to this election. There's a cloud over it. There's an international commission that's looking into it. They're going to issue a report in a couple of weeks, and it would be inappropriate for us to comment on that election with this cloud over it until the international commission finishes its report, which was the correct response, I thought. And then within an hour, they put out a, a report on the phone call between Donald Trump and President Erdogan congratulating him on his tremendous victory in Turkey. <laughs> Yeah, you're a strong man, like I like. <laughs> so, yeah, th do you think that phone call had anything to do with the two Trump Towers in Istanbul? Istanbul. Istanbul. Um, I, can't, I can't say for certain. Uh, uh, who can, but still. That, that's the problem is that we're forced to ask these questions. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it just reveals another problem why he must divest his, from his businesses. Um, and uh, it's it's just... Stunning to the degree that Republicans in Congress are letting this, you know, this happen. I, I can't – every morning I wake up and I'm like, well, you know, if Hillary Clinton won, what would we be seeing right now from Republicans on the Hill? It would be subpoena after subpoena after subpoena. Uh, you know, your business conflicts in this country and this country. Uh, we're not seeing any of that. So um, it's just stunning. Yeah. And, you know, and one of the biggest conflicts is right in under our nose, right on Pennsylvania Avenue, just up the street from the White House with this Trump Hotel, where um, that's the only place I'll ever go out to dinner. <laughs> uh, uh, and where all these foreign potentates and 
conservative organization now are all having their events there because they want to be able to tell Donald Trump, buy your hotel when they see him. Oh, your hotel's really great. I love that place, right? You know, and uh, and every every dollar that's spent there, part of that dollar is going right into Donald Trump's pocket. If not right now, eventually. I mean, I got to tell you, have you been to the bar there? Are you kidding? I will not walk in that <laughs> building. I think they're selling drinks like, you know, 20 bucks a pop or something like that. It's pricey. I'm not advocating that you go to the Trump Hotel and sit at the bar and have a drink and then walk out on your tab. I don't think you should do that because that would be bad. But it's out there. Yeah, they charge way too much money. What do they do? Like spoonfuls of wine? Spoonfuls of wine. That's and then right. like $20 for a cocktail, a mediocre cocktail. Yikes. I'm not going to go in there, I don't think. Me either. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe we'll know um, more about these potential conflicts once Donald Trump releases uh, his tax returns, which should probably happen later in the week, right? Oh, definitely. Mm. <laughs> uh, again, you mentioned the silence on the part of Republicans on the conflicts. That's right. Uh, most of them on the tax returns, too, with a couple of exceptions, I guess. There are, yeah. Uh, just uh, earlier this week, uh, James Langford from Oklahoma, uh, freshman senator, uh, came out and said he thinks Donald Trump should release his tax returns. He said he would after this supposed audit. Um, and uh, it was interesting to, to see that this came out of um, a town hall of, you know, of uh, where he had some people that were demanding that the president release his tax returns. Um, and for the most part, the people who have come out, Republicans who have come out and said, yes, the president should do this, um, it these kind of exchanges have occurred at town halls where there's some kind of pressure on them. They haven't done so willingly. Uh, case in point was Joni Ernst last mm-hmm. month, yeah. another Republican senator who came out, who's kept a low profile ever since you know winning office a couple of years ago. And uh, this gives them an opportunity to say, um, yes, we agree with you. It gives something to the, to the protesters. Um, uh, at a time where the president's approval rating isn't, the best. I think he's something at like forty percent now. Uh, so they're if they're you feeling ask the president. He's at fifty percent. Oh yeah, yeah he's right. doing fabulous. <laughs> so they're they're feeling a little more comfortable, uh, you know, putting themselves out there. Right. Um, Ron Wyden spoke on this uh, issue on the floor yesterday, um, talking of, first of all about the, the the classic question: What does he have to hide, Mr. President? Why won't you meet the lowest ethical bar for a president? And publicly release your returns. And um, Wyden makes then also the connection, which more and more Democrats have. I think Chuck, Chuck Schumer is the one who started it, between release, which I find a, a very clever kind of um, opposition tactic, connecting his refusal to release his tax returns with the Democrats' refusal to do anything about tax reform. Again, Senator Ron Wyden. As we fight to make the tax system work for working Americans, not Cayman Island high flyers, we have a right to know where the president's interests actually lie. So there is a connection there, isn't there? Because if there are certain changes proposed to the tax code, particularly that would impact wealthy people, Without seeing his tax returns, we don't know whether this is something that's going to benefit Donald Trump or not. That's right. Uh, The reason why we could uh, understand how policy could affect Mitt Romney, for example, is because he released a couple of years of tax returns, uh, how much he was giving to charities, uh, 
what his uh, his bo- his top tax rate was. At how much money he had in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right. That's right. Um, so uh, it, it was interesting that earlier this week, I believe, Sean Spicer was asked um, about you know this issue, and he he said, gave the same bogus answer. They're under audit. Right. Uh, there's nothing stopping presidents from releasing the tax returns under audit. Richard Nixon did so. Um, and uh, the follow-up question to Mr. Spicer was whether the president would authorize the IRS to even just confirm the fact that there is an audit. Yeah. The IRS is notoriously, you know, they don't want to say what, what, what they're doing. Um, and he kind of ducked the question. So uh, that's, that's kind of another point on this being just kind of a runaround. You know, I was thinking that one thing the IRS could do to really, if they wanted to pull the rug out from under Donald Trump, is just say, the audit's over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be kind of funny to see what what BS excuse they would come up with after that. But some kind of rogue operator in the IRS, I, I, I <laughs> fake news, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I could, they could, they could do that. Um, back, back to the conflicts of interest. Is, is there any way? Do you think that? I mean, as you point out, Republicans in the House are not going to have a hearing about this, right? No. Um, the Oversight Committee, now they're going to have a new chair because Jason Chaffetz says he's not going to run for election. This, the, this, even the Senate, this Republicans in control of the Senate are not going to do anything. It would have to be some outside group. And there have been some lawsuits filed, I think, by the ACLU, maybe, and by Crew. A couple of different ethics watchdogs, that's right. Yeah. But, I mean, that could take old yeah. years. You know, they could... He'd be out of the White House, maybe, by right. the time that's resolved. Right. Um, I mean, the only the only way I, I could see something happening is if something egregious, particularly egregious, came out that Paul Ryan and Republican leadership just could not stomach. Um, so whether that shoe drops, I, I don't know. Right. Um, it, the There was a story this week about, it, it's, it's, it ties to this conflict of interest, about how much money Donald Trump was able to raise for his inauguration. I mean, just a new record dwarfing anything that Obama or anybody, George W. Bush, had raised for the inauguration. What I wonder is, was 107, I see, $107 million. What did they get for that, really? I don't remember it being such a special inauguration. There were fewer units in the in the parade. There were fewer people, who <laughs> turned out. That's right. Uh, no, it, it also, well, it had record attendance. Bill, so. oh, that's true. <laughs> the largest, like the, the you largest, need a lot of money to cover all those people there. The so. largest crowd in human history. That's right. right? Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> well, one caveat to that is they they uh, they eliminated uh, limits on how much they could give to to the inaugural committee, mm-hmm. whereas in previous administrations there were there limits. were limits. Yeah. So you had uh, some of Donald Trump's closest friends, Robert Kraft, who you know, owner of the New England Patriots, gave I think it's like a million. Several other. Uh, uh, NFL team owners gave a lot of money, um, and it's not hard to see what's going on. You give t- to the president, you're going to expect to see some access later on. That's uh, the thing. That, that, that's the thing to me that's just so gross about this. Is it's just we all kind of had our suspicions about what kind of president Donald Trump was going to be when it came to these types of things, right? The the, the grift, but it's just so naked now. He yeah. just doesn't care. No, it's it, he's shameless. So his money is just pouring in. And and they say they're gonna they're gonna um, donate the the uh, excess funds in that that amount please. to charity. Uh, but please, please, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to see that happen. Okay, 
Uh, it's j- just to your point, as this was reading. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, of course. Eight NFL, eight NFL team owners kicked in big money for the inauguration. I mean, why? I mean, guys, don't watch the NFL. Right? No, that's what it comes down they're, to. They're, they're I know that's a hard thing to do, but like, just don't watch are. the NFL. They're really, it's, on so many levels, they're so disgusting, including Robert Car- Bob Kraft, right? A million, a million bucks, right? <sighs> yeah, uh, nice, Jamie. Uh, Jamie. Yes. Mr. New England Patriot in there. Uh, <laughs> Phil Ruffin, a casino mogul, gives a million dollars. You know, of course, you know what he wants, right? <laughs> Another mogul, Sheldon Adelson, casino mogul. Uh, five, five, biggest one, five million dollars, and of course he wants Donald Trump to say anything BB wants, anything BB Netanyahu wants for Israel, we he gets it because I've given him five million dollars. An interesting uh, contribution, also, uh, I believe it was Venezuela who gave five hundred thousand. Oh my like God! <laughs> what? <laughs> Which you know, I thought they were broke. <laughs> yeah, oh, Jesus. I'm just going through these, what? right? The head of uh, the, of course, Dakota Access <laughs> Pipeline, amazing. great big contributor. Head of uh, the biggest coal company, Forest Energy Partners, gives a million dollars. And guess what? Yeah, we get the coal uh, uh, um, executive order signed early in the Trump administration. You can go right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, Obama set a $50,000 cap on individual contributions, uh, and they just took the caps off for, uh, for, for Donald Trump. Yeah. Yep. So, um, <laughs> God, where, does all of, where does all of this go? Uh, a little, a little embarrassing this week with the uh, aircraft carrier. That was just bizarre. Uh, reading that story was bizarre. Uh, New York Times uh, reported that uh, when the president said there was a great armada sailing to uh, the Korean Peninsula, it was actually somewhere in the ne- Indonesian Sea, <laughs> not on its way to the North Korea. And then Sean Spicer came out yeah, yesterday yeah. and said, no, oh, I, yeah, but it's heading there. Yeah. No, I know. No. We, so we were right. We didn't. We, we weren't wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. going there now. So. Uh, yeah. We said that it was heading there, and it was heading there. It is heading there. <laughs> it was heading there. It is heading there. Um, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, uh, I, I give it Sean, man. That's that. That's take some cojones. <laughs> I don't know how he walks to the podium every day with balls that big. It's uh, that guy has onions to sure. be able to do that. Like he's he just doesn't care. It happened though, right? It's no. Here he is again. Um. Yes. <laughs> uh, it happened, or he goes the same thing where he gets his tenses. Uh, mixed up. That's the first one. Here he is. The president said we have an armada going towards the peninsula. That's a fact. It happened. It is happening, rather. <laughs> it happened. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was 3,500 miles from the Korean peninsula. Now they have turned it around, and now it is heading up there. Correct. It is happening, rather. Yeah, it is happening. <laughs> and the if you just want to put a like a period on the ridiculous nature of our world right now, uh, the name of the carrier the USS Carl Vinson. Uh, the carrier is named after a former congressman who used to represent the Georgia 6th District, which we were just... Oh, wow. Which we were just... Just fighting over. <laughs> yes, earlier oh, this boy. week. So, you know... It, How fitting. Time is a flat circle. We're, we're all going to die. <laughs> you know, it's all going to happen. <laughs> uh, the other thing where, Donald, where uh, Sean Spicer got tripped up uh, the other day was... In trying to justify, and are they going to get away with refusing to release the visitor logs? Uh, right now, it looks like it. Uh, you would need some kind of Republicans in Congress to to say something, and at the moment, they're not. Uh, which it's just, 
the nature of the visitor logs in itself, uh, they've been um, exploited in the past, even under the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. Yes, they had a, a standard of visitor logs where they, they would log in whoever walked in and out of the White House. But uh, certain meetings weren't reported. Uh, you know, Bill Clinton's sit down with Obama a couple years ago was not in the visitor logs. So there are ways of going around it. I think the Trump administration just went flat out and said, we don't want to deal with that, um, which and it's unfortunate. Uh, there should be some level of, of transparency. Uh, their reasoning is, well, the Obama administra- administration wasn't tra- transparent enough, so we're just going to get rid of it entirely. That that logic really doesn't fly. And uh, the other argument that, that Spicer made was, uh, you, you mentioned Republicans in Congress would have to do something. One of the reasons they won is because they're not required to release their visitor logs. That's right. They can have any, you know. Or any, tax returns. Or tax returns, <laughs> right. Any lobbyists come in and we would, we would never know they're there. I gotta tell you, it keeps people like you and me running fast to keep up with them, Igor. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks okay. so much, Bill. Stay around for the 420 celebration if you'd like. It's gonna be lit. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be lit. Follow Igor at HuffingtonPost.com. Thanks for joining us today, this folks. We'll see you again the tomorrow. Bill Press Show. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Well, friends, what do you know? A year ago, nobody would have believed that Fox News could survive without Roger Ailes. And a month ago, nobody would have believed that Fox News could survive without Bill O'Reilly. But today, they are both gone. Goodbye, good riddance. The world, Fox News, and the entire world is a better place today because both of them represent a dying age when men ruled in the workplace with men could get a, when, when men could get away with anything when men could sexually abuse women and get away with it treat women like dirt just because they were men always disgusting often criminal but tolerated no longer now there are those today already who applaud Fox News and the Murdoch family and say What a great thing they did, how brave they were to take such a strong stand. Bullshit. Don't you believe it? Fox News didn't get rid of Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly because it was the right thing to do. Roger Ailes would still be head of Fox News if Gretchen Carlson weren't brave enough to come forward with, and other women too, with their sexual harassment lawsuit against uh, Roger Ailes. And Bill O'Reilly would still be angering the factor every night if the New York Times hadn't exposed the $13 million that Fox News had to pay to cover up his crimes. Fox only acted because advertisers started fleeing Fox like rats off a sinking ship, and its reputation as a sexual harassment headquarters was caused was hurting their bottom line. So, yes, Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly are gone, but it's no thanks to Fox News. It's thanks to Gretchen Carlson and other brave women who stepped forward, and it's thanks to the great investigative reporting of the New York Times. This is The Bill Press Show.